Tonight, I'd like to continue our journey with the paramis by talking about virya. And virya is the quality of energy, of aligning our vitality, our passion for life with the truth. So it's our li- aligning our life force with this journey towards freedom, to liberation. Is that better? Great. So we'll, we'll try again. <laughs> we'll try and bring a bit more vitality and life energy. <laughs> <laughs> and embody it. <laughs> so the Buddha encouraged us to feel the urgency that coming, comes from knowing that all things pass so quickly that it's only this moment that we can be awake in, right now. There's no other time than now to awaken. So our feelings of deep compassion that we were touching into the other night for the suffering in the world, for suffering of beings for our own, lead to this urge to um, pursue, have this courageous effort that moves us towards liberation his passion for the truth. And the Buddha saw that energy can be used in ways that fuel desire, ambition, consuming. Or that the strength can lead to aggression, violence, cruelty. And the power can be used that way. But it could also be guided into generosity, kindness, compassion, and towards liberation. So that our life's energy can be used to cultivate wholesome states and awakening. But it wasn't just enough for the Buddha to point out the path to do that. Each of us actually has to do it. And so there's an effort or an engagement or an energy involved in that to apply it to cultivating our minds and hearts. And he saw, as you're seeing day by day, that self-cultivation isn't easy. But he said if he didn't believe it was possible, he wouldn't be asking us to do it. So it takes a willingness and a commitment. And virya is this courage, strength, passion, vitality, vigor, and a perseverance, an unshakable commitment and sincerity this aligning of life force, awakening to the life force. This is from Uvavnuk, Inuit. The great sea has set me in motion, set me adrift, moving me like a weed in a river. The sky and the strong wind have moved the spirit inside me till I am carried away, trembling with joy. So it's connecting with this passion for awakening, joyous exertion, enthusiasm, perseverance. We need this parami to help us practice in face of difficulty. It supports all the other paramis, this quality of resolve, 
of not holding back, of engaging completely. Joyous energy is a complete involvement in our practice, beyond self-referencing. It's a wholeheartedness, that wholeheartedly giving ourselves to the practice, trusting that we can let go into the unfolding of life. And we can use it to maintain our wisdom. So it counterbalances the difficulties and the hindrances. And we need that because the habits are so deeply ingrained that if we want to stay on this trajectory taking us towards awakening, we need virya to keep the wisdom and the compassion growing. In the Dhammapada it says, one who has the joy of wakefulness goes on their path like fire, burning all obstacles, great and small. So that's that practicing with the fire of engagement. Shantideva says also, in virya lies enlightenment. It's that warrior energy. But sometimes we can get confused about warrior energy and we can confuse it with efforting or gaining. So we get this overdevelopment of energy. And if it's gaining, then we're attached to the goal of enlightenment. So there's this kind of spiritual striving of competing and comparing and judging, evaluating our progress, having expectation. We try harder and we push and we lean and get very tense and it's tiring. And then if we notice ourselves doing that, we may back off and go the other way and get rid of the goal altogether and then lose the source of inspiration. And we lose that, we lose the virya then, that's, um, and we start spacing out or getting discouraged and drifting off, disconnecting. So what we're doing with virya is finding this balance between efforting and surrender between being and doing, so that we're open and receptive and the life force itself is doing the work. And the surrender isn't a passive kind of resignation, but a rather surrender to the Dharma, to the truth of each moment's experience, as Jack was talking about last night. So we're arousing energy, but not with agitation or grasping, or efforting. So it's like there are a latent calories in food. We talk about the calories in food and the energy value of food. And in the same way, there's latent energy in the connecting and sustaining that you do in your practice. That's building up this store of energy that strengthens and supports our practice. We sustain these moments of mindfulness and pure presence and they build on and collect the attention and the energy together. So that way, we can have a sense of spiritual urgency and at the same time have a softness and surrender to just what's happening in this moment and the next moment. So there's no grasping or leaning, there's simply presence, awake, alive, passionate, engaged. And as the energy builds for our practice, the mindfulness is collecting it in. We're sort of collecting all this energy in that's normally dispersed, and we build some concentration 
our practice deepens and the mind starts to get pliable and flexible. Then we can utilize the energy we've collected to see clearly and for liberation and for wisdom insights. The mind becomes smooth and flexible. So I'd like to talk a little bit more tonight about different energy states and how we can balance and support our energy. Energy manifests physically and mentally, and we all have different energy states in our lives. The physical manifestation can be anywhere from restlessness to deep stillness and relaxation, this sense of embodied presence where we're very clear and present in the body. Or the physical manifestation might be sloth or heaviness, dullness, um, and then it might move to lightness, a feeling of life and fully engagement and brightness in the body. Mentally, it might be agitation, worry, um, and then move to clarity, brightness, sloth, a sleep torpor of the mind, that dull state. Or it could be calm, awake, bright. So just for a moment right now, notice the energy in your body. What's the energy state in your body right now? Just pay attention to that. Be aware of it. What's the energy state in the mind? What's the movement, the life force that's moving through the body and mind right now and heart? We have such a wide fluctuation of energy in our practice and our lives. And it's important to understand our particular patterns with energy because it can work either for us, against us, or against us. We can be flowing with it or struggling against it and using it in a way that uses it up and is draining. When we can understand our energy cycles more clearly, we can begin to work with the swings in much more skillful ways. And it's a refined art. We don't find the balance today and think, I've got it now because it's always changing due to the different causes and conditions. And so when we come on retreat, we come from all sorts of different situations in our lives, and our energy gets dispersed in a whole variety of different ways, and energy gets blocked in our bodies in a variety of different ways. And so it's very helpful to get to know them. My personal experience with energy has been coming from a place um, before I started practice of always pushing, always pushing, going without sleep for 36 hours, being on call, not listening to any um, of the signs that my body was telling me, using caffeine to keep going. Um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with that kind of thing. I would be saying, you can do it, you can get through this, you can get one more ounce out of this moment. And so I took that kind of energy into my practice with that kind of will and pushing. And that led to a lot of very intense and wild states. 
Some of them were extremely pleasant and ecstatic, and some of them were extremely unpleasant and scary. And I would have these swings between high-energy states or restlessness, anxiety, fear that came from sort of intergenerational hypervigilance. And then I would swing into sloth and torpor from years of lack of sleep (laughs) or from overdoing it in my practice. And so there was a lot of wide variation and not much middle path. And so I found that um, there are a number of tools that have helped me on my way that I'd really like to share with you um, that maybe will be helpful to you. And we'll talk about restlessness first, that particular state. Initially, when we come in and we're restless, we're collecting in our scattered attention and we're guiding it into focus so that we can use that energy. And the mind gradually begins to settle. We can use the breath to help align with the breath energy, breathing in, aware of the body, breathing out, calming the body. And the qigong is very helpful. It helps us align the energy channels, embody and settle. Same with the walking and the yoga. All of them help collect and settle restless energy. And the more still the body is, the more still the mind will be. And we can play with the focus. Sometimes it helps to gather the attention in, and sometimes we need more space, a bigger pasture, to let the energy disperse so that the restlessness can settle down. And each of you have been exploring with that. And then as we settle and our practice becomes more still, sometimes we'll have periods of deep stillness. And then after those, there'll be a release of still deeper blocks. And then all of a sudden, you come in and sit down and your mind is restless and agitated. And where did that come from? I was so deep, I was so still. And here's restlessness again. Sometimes the restless energy can simply come because a deeper block of energy is being released. And sometimes it's from this mind habit and pattern that's going, what's next? Now what? And we're not satisfied with this moment. There's a moment of stillness and calm, and the mind goes, now what? What's next? I want something else. The movement of mind into the next moment, that leaning, hurrying up. For those of you that have done jhana practice, maybe, oh, a few moments of beautiful concentration, now I want this jhana or that jhana. This sort of wanting more, the mind moving on. And I found that it's such a relief to notice that it's possible to be okay with just this moment. The years of hurry up, what's next, what's next, to be able to be okay where we are with the fullness of this moment being enough so that that restless energy begins to dissipate a bit and we're not feeding it by moving into the next moment. So we start to see what feeds the restless energy and also what calms it, bringing in the calm. Sometimes some of you have described anxiety. Anxiety is a form of restless energy. 
And it is just an energy that's moving through the body. There's a beautiful story um, by a woman who wrote a book called Panic to Power and who had a lot of anxiety and panic attacks. And she describes how um, she wanted to learn how to ski. And so she was learning on the bunny slopes. But even so, she was absolutely terrified. And as she would go down the slope, her heart would be pounding, she'd be sweating, her mind would be filled with fear, and she would feel like she was going to die. And she noticed this other woman in her class who was barreling down the slopes, going, Wee! You know, and seemed totally excited and happy. And so as they were going up on the lift together, she said, you look like you're having such a good time. She said, my heart's pounding, I'm terrified, I'm sweating. And this woman said to her, my heart's pounding, I'm sweating, isn't it great? (laughs) And it was a way of interpreting adrenaline in a different way. And so sometimes anxiety is just the energy moving through our bodies, but we're not comfortable with how that energy is. And so being mindful of what the energy feels like before we label it something. That energy that's moving through of something about to happen that we don't know, that we talked about this morning. Can I be with this energy of not knowing? And if we can actually be with the bare experience of the energy before we label it something, it's very interesting. Sometimes what we thought was unpleasant, like when she was calling it anxiety and fear, it was very unpleasant. If she called it excitement and thrill, it was actually pleasant. And so just to look at that, what are we labeling the energy? Sometimes as we go further into our practice, a lot of energy can get released. Those of you that have had deeper states of concentration know that that happens. Energy gets to move in the body as the concentration happens. And this energy of joy, or piti, it's called. And sometimes the piti is joyful and ecstatic and pleasant, and sometimes it's unpleasant. And it's helpful to know how to work with that particular energy. My experience, um, I've gone through retreats where I've really gotten frustrated with it. I've not wanted it to be there. It felt like it had a a life of its own, this force of energy that had come as a result of concentration. And I would go through a lot of struggling to try and get rid of it or um, get it to go away. And so some of the things I've noticed were that when I didn't want it to be there, when I was struggling with it, It would almost be like um, these red flashing lights would come on as I would feel it begin in my body. They would be flashing on and off, and it would be, "Uh uh-oh, PT alert, man the dykes. Um, Sort of do something to get rid of it, calm down, stop it, hold on. And I saw that that was actually feeding it, that the more I did that, the more energy I was creating by kind of running around inside, trying to to stop it and control it. What was more useful was just knowing, oh, this is what happens to the body during these causes and conditions for me. 
when I get concentrated, this is what arises. Then it became more possible to see it move and change and pass through the body. This is what it's like when the body's experiencing high energy and flow. And I saw how breathing in different ways would help. And sometimes you talk to your teacher about that. Sometimes, for me, breathing down the back and into, into the, my, the base of my spine would help, or out my hands and feet, different things. Or simply inclining towards calm. And I saw that um, there was one occasion where it was like, the PT was like a hurricane. It was like this storm of sound and light and all these different things. And that there was a way it felt like leaning into the, into the wind of the PT. And if I just stayed with it and didn't do anything, just stayed with it, it was like it was actually exhilarating and not unpleasant, but I wasn't either exaggerating or decreasing it. And then gradually I realized I was in a place of deep calm while it was passing through. So it's possible to incline towards a deeper calm when that's happening. Sometimes it can help when we're in states of agitation to associate with people around us that are calm. So sometimes to open your eyes, to look around the hall. You don't know what's happening in other people, (laughs) but at least they're still. (laughs) Their bodies are still. I was sharing a room once at IMS many years ago, and uh, I was having this state, and it felt like I'd been plugged into a socket at the wall, and I hadn't slept for a while, and I was getting upset about it. And then I watched my roommate very slowly and mindfully brushing her hair and drying it. And her calmness and stillness and slowness began to seep into me, or I began to just connect with an outside calm. And that was helpful. So it's like noticing what we're feeding. So by giving attention to calm, I was feeding that. So that can help when we have those high energy states to help us sort of ride that, the horse of, when you feel like you're riding a wild horse, just to bring that calm in. The other thing that can help, too, is that the energy isn't permanent and it isn't personal. And that is very helpful because it gives you the sense of, um, this is just life force, this is just life energy. And then there's a possibility of being with it as it moves through and is transforming. So then the other energy state, um, the sort of opposite of that, is sloth and torpor. And um, those are, that's when you fall into these sits after sit, or day after day of sleepiness that some of you come in sometimes and complain about. And it can be so frustrating when we're caught in these lulls. Sometimes it's the body that's just having this sense of exhaustion or fatigue. And sometimes it's the mind, it's a sort of torpor state. One of you was talking about it this morning, this feeling of being stuck and heavy and immovable. And sometimes it can be a rebound from too much efforting, and sometimes it's just a cycle and we don't know what the cause is. 
Sometimes there's an emotion underneath. And sometimes we just don't know. And what can help is to just be curious about it. And again, to notice if we're feeding it and how we're feeding it. Sometimes I've noticed that it can be pleasant and it's very seductive and it feels nice and warm just to drift into the breath. And it can, that's what's happening is an attachment or a seduction. And other times it's really unpleasant and our struggling with it is feeding it because it's tiring us. So the things that help are remembering the other factors of enlightenment, of investigation, and of curiosity. Reconnecting with our inspiration for practice, opening our eyes, bringing that life force energy in, going for walks where we connect and look outside of us and really are aware of life force moving through us. And so it's helpful in balancing our energy to just see what it is, how it is that we're, we're feeding the imbalance. And if it's efforting, then rather than focusing or pushing, just have a sense of observing, watching, being receptive, relaxing, being in an easy chair. And it's really about continuity rather than this pushing. And the continuity, it doesn't require much energy just to be awake, just to know the experience of the body. It's difficult to do it continuously, but all we're doing is aligning ourselves with presence, with embodiment, with being awake and alive. But we're doing it over and over, all the time. And it's not being continually aware with a judging, I should, I have to, how am I doing it, is it right? But just present, understanding, simple. And it's having that kind of understanding that sees cause and effect. This is a moment of mindfulness. This is a moment of spacing out. So that we can use the energy in a way that sustains and builds our practice rather than drains it. It can help to recognize the signs of imbalance in our bodies. And we all know those feelings of tightness, heaviness, sometimes headache or pressure or contraction in our neck or straining. Sometimes even there's just a little bit of a leaning forward. Or if we're spacing out, maybe a drooping or leaning being dragged back into the past. Or maybe there's anxiety or we're taking ourselves really seriously. Can we have a lightness? rather than a tightness? Is there a should? I should be doing it this way. Or is there a willingness? Are we wanting to achieve something or get somewhere? Or simply being with how it is, actually? Or maybe we're trying to get rid of something. So just to notice how it is that we're, we're um, that the imba- um, imbalance is happening. Ajahn Chah says proper effort is not the effort to make something particular happen. It's the effort to be aware and awake in each moment. When we try to do the practice to make it work, it leads to tension. When we are with our practice and let it work, 
then the Dharma takes care of itself. And so it isn't a, a trying or a trying to get it right, but a being with how it is, one moment after another, reminding ourselves persistently to be aware, gently coming into the present moment again and again, connecting with this vitality, this life energy, whether it's including sleepiness, grumpiness, doubt, whatever it is, we're including it. We're being there anyway. We're not giving up on ourselves. And that's the quality of virya, that courage to not give up on ourselves no matter what's happening. So it takes some discerning wisdom and a capacity to face challenges and push our limits and to know when is the time to, to just push a little bit and when is the time to take a step back and rest? Is there a should here that we maybe need to release and respect and come into caring and rest? Virya is that courageous willingness to say yes to experience. To not be afraid and to keep going one tiny step at a time. And to know that each moment is a new beginning. And that's amazing. We get a fresh start over and over. And that renews the energy if we don't have to carry the past with us. And courageous effort sustains and builds so that there's an infinite store of energy available to us. And the courage doesn't mean being free from fear. It just means willing to keep going in the face of fear or in the face of doubt. It's helpful to explore how it is that we block our energy, how it is that it gets dissipated. Am I using my energy wisely and skillfully and effectively? And I'll just talk a little bit about some of the ways energy gets blocked. One of them is when, of course, we're forcing, striving, or struggling with ourselves. When they were feeding the inner critic and we're caught in judging and in believing the stories and in inner battles. And it's really disheartening when we do that. And it helps to be aware of the tension in the body. If you notice this tension in the body, just to stop, pause for a minute, be still. To notice, are you trying to overcome a difficult state by forcing or by trying to figure it out? My experience has been when I'm trying to figure it out, the knots get tied tighter and tighter, and the confusion builds. These levels of striving and trying to get it right are so subtle, and they go into deeper and deeper levels of practice. It's just trying to fiddle with and fix our practice. Another one of the blocks that um, is really draining is skeptical doubt. And that's when we doubt our practice. We doubt ourselves, we doubt the teachings, we doubt that we should be doing it. I said I would do this for months, why am I here? I said it would, I would do it for two months, why am I here? And 
We may have done many, many, many retreats and still doubt can come up and drain the practice, drain our energy. And that's not to be confused with what's sometimes called great doubt. And that's a kind of positive um, doubt that fuels and energizes our practice. That's this, I don't know, and I want to know, I want to know what is this cycle of life and death and pain and joy? What is it that's causing suffering? It's our doubt and our wanting to know about the mystery. And so that is a wonderful inspiration to our practice when we say, I won't stop until this doubt or this not knowing is resolved. But this is more the doubt of um, indecision, for example. What technique shall I do? Shall I do a bit of metta, and then maybe I'll do a bit of vipassana? That doesn't feel quite right. Maybe I should go back to concentration practice. Maybe I'll walk now, maybe I'll sit. That kind of indecision that uses up energy. And it really helps when we know we're caught in that kind of doubt to simplify, again, to stop and keep things very simple. What's happening right now? Oh, it's the hindrance of doubt. Keep it very simple. Maybe just return to knowing this breath, this step, sensations in the body. Just to simplify and come to what you, is the actual experience in the moment. We can also get the energy blocked when we get caught in loops of wanting results before the process is complete. How come I'm still doing this? How come this is happening again? We want an answer before the mind is ready to give it. Sometimes we can get caught in a lot of worrying, worrying about our practice or our lives. I had um, a friend who'd been practicing for many years, and she had a tendency to worry in her life as well as worrying in her practice. And it would frustrate her that she would spend so many hours sitting and worrying. So one one particular day she was sitting and she had this memory of a small child being given this um, wind-up doll, which is a little woman with an apron and a little bonnet. And as you wound it up, the little old woman would go, oh my, oh my, oh my. And so every time she had a fit of worrying, (laughs) she would (laughs) tell herself, oh my. (laughs) This is the, oh my, mind state. (laughs) And it really, (laughs) it really brought, (laughs) it sort of cut it for her, because she was able to laugh and not be so caught and identified. She saw that the energy of worrying could attach itself to anything. And it is like that with anxiety. It doesn't matter what kind of thought goes through. The anxious energy can grab onto it and worry about it. I think Gil was talking about that the other day. If there's some contraction in the body or in the emotion, it's ready to pump out anxiety or something. If just a thought goes by, it can grab onto that. And so if we can see and recognize those and have our own name or our own symbol for them, it helps us getting lost and spinning out and draining our energy. Comparing mind is another real thief of energy. We can get caught in 
indulging, I call it indulging, in comparing and evaluating and judging and sometimes whining and self-pity. And I noticed that that would, would happen fairly frequently in my practice a number of years ago. And so I made this commitment to align with virya, to align with this, this sense of will and strength and set, make a sort of, have this sort of sense of impeccability. I am going to, I'm committing to refrain from indulging in whining, judging, comparing, and I had this list. And it really helped, because as soon as that mind state would start, I would remember, okay, I'm not going to indulge in it. You know, it, would, it was not to minimize that, but more to sort of say, a little bit as Marie was saying this morning, okay, we heard this story before, stop. And the mind can say no to itself, so that we're using our energy wisely and not wasting it in spinning out. Um, and to see that comparing mind, oh, woe is me, I'm so inadequate or whatever, that's an indulgence, was, was helpful to look at it that way. And you can use that with stories, whatever it is that you see yourself indulging in or being seduced to do. When we get caught in difficult emotions sometimes, it can be really painful. Uh, It takes energy to hold on to them or to push them away. Both are true, to deny them. And the energy gets blocked and it can't flow freely, and so the stuff doesn't get transformed. And that can happen with fear or anger or any of those difficult states. We were talking about some of those this morning, with working with them. Can we allow the energy of the emotion to expand, to let it be, to let it build, let the wave of it come? Our ability to be with it increases as we practice, so that it becomes just the energy of fear. And it has its life, and it departs. And each time we're able to be with just a little bit, it builds our ability to be with it a bit more. Then what we see is that we have all the energy that we were using to struggle with it or fight it or deny it. Not only do we have that energy, but we have the energy from the difficulty itself, all to channel into our practice. The other thing we see that's very helpful as as we start to become a little more steady in our practice, that one emotion replaces another. So, for example, in a retreat I was sitting, there was um, a lot of fear. And the fear was preventing a certain opening. And I could feel this contraction and the, the fear in a particular place in my abdomen. So there was the fear that was there. So I was aware of the fear. And then what came in was judging the fear. And then there was fear of the judgment. And then there was aversion to the judgment and the fear of the judgment. And so there's this layer and layer and layer. And each time a layer was recognized and acknowledged, it dissolved. And so um, I think it's Sharon Salzberg in her book on faith calls it taking apart the cord. So it's like this bundle of contracted, tight energy that seems solid and immovable. But as we begin to allow it to release and separate out, we see all the layers of it. 
then they begin to disperse and then transformation is possible. And they stop flowing through and the flow of life then isn't impeded. With fear, Virya provides that sort of bold, courageous, adventurous heart to take us where we've never gone before. And I just felt inspired to say a little bit about this because of one of the questions this morning. It's moving us into places where maybe we haven't been, into the mystery. And we're being vulnerable and open to new territory. We don't know what's going to happen. The fears are maybe we'll go crazy, maybe we'll die or disappear, even though no one has yet disappeared from the hall on a retreat. <laughs> and compassion is necessary. So we balance this adventurous spirit, this adventurous strength with compassion. And having our sila and our integrity helps to also work with the fear and our kindness practice so that we begin to be able to open to life, to experience the unknown a little bit. And there's that vitality and dynamic kind of interest in what might arise. It's not like we're going anywhere. We're actually being, just being ready, but being ready for anything while we're right here. We don't have to go anywhere. It's like sitting on the edge and just being with the kind of trembling and shaking and not knowing. And it requires balance and kindness to be with that. Another way that we block our energy is self-referencing, when we refer everything back to me and mine. It takes a lot of energy to hold a self together to protect our ego, to build the castle walls, to build up the defense. And when there's a solid self, it's heavy. The energy's heavy and bound and unmoving. And when we start to release the self-referencing a little bit, even though it's scary to let go of the old structures um, and to see them as not me or not mine or not self, the energy gets freed up and it's actually joyous to release it all a little bit, all the ways that it's bound up. And when the energy gets freed, there's this joy, passion, creativity, and power that comes through. And it's not that we're trying to transcend grief or pain to get to some quiet, peaceful, exalted state somewhere over there. It's more that we're doing it to be fully awake and alive right now with everything that is happening to us. Another way our energy can get blocked is when we get discouraged or dissatisfied. Maybe we've had some very pleasant states and now it's kind of boring and nothing much is happening. We want other, better states, or maybe we just want to be able to control our experience and we get really discouraged. Sometimes we can feel lazy and resistant. I know certainly that's happened to me. 
I feel, okay, I've worked hard for a while, now I want to space out and have fantasies for a few sits. And it doesn't matter what I tell myself, there's some two-year-old mind state that is telling me to sort of push off, (laughs) and I'm not going to do it anymore. And so it's being able to know, oh, that's what's holding the energy back, this resistance, and just to acknowledge it. It's okay. So for all of them, it's seeing how we're feeding them. What is it that we're doing that's kind of keeping the energy blocked? Are we believing them? Are we identifying with them? Just being aware begins the release. And as we begin to be aware of it more quickly, we notice them. And as we can be aware with them and not believe in them, the less they sink in and the less they settle and the less solid they are then we're able to continue and to put our vitality into our practice. So virya is present when we relinquish the resistance and we refrain from getting caught in the obstacles. Without resistance, the energy is manifesting on its own and the effort becomes effortless. One of the things that really helps is being willing to make mistakes, to see failure as just another step towards success. So freeing, frees the energy to feel that way. There's more ease, less contraction, less judgment. And to see danger as inspiration for courage, for compassion. To see the unpleasant, difficult mind states as simply an opportunity to practice compassion and to have understanding and wisdom. And so to have this attitude of this is about opening into life, embracing all of life. So it's the balance of not pushing and yet boldness, vulnerability, kind and strong, strength and kindness. Sometimes the strength is more in the foreground, sometimes it's the passion and the joy, other times it's the kindness. And it's not the attitude of, come on, get over it, you wimp. But um, can we be with this just one step at a time? Really, really, truly respecting where we are. What would be being kind right now? What would be just having the courage to take this next step, to fully embrace life? I was um, sitting a retreat some months ago, and I happened to have read um, a passage, um, I think it was from the Anguttara Nikaya, I'm not sure exactly, but um, some, a monk called An- Anuruddha had come to the Buddha and asked him about some difficulties in his practice and how did the Buddha work with these different states. And the Buddha went through this whole list of difficulties And he said, when my concentration failed or became weak, I looked to see the cause, I examined, I pondered. And then I saw that I was was, my concentration was failing or diminishing because uncertainty had arisen. And I thought, wow, the Buddha got uncertain. (laughs) He too, uncertainty arose. And then he listed all these different things and striving had arisen and uh, lack of persistence had arisen. 
And for each of them, he said, uh, from each of them, he went on to say, and then I resolved to act in a way that uncertainty or fear or resistance or whatever it was would not arise in me. And so he would examine and see what the cause of the situation was and then bring the energy together to make this intention that he would look for that particular hindrance, this will not arise in me again. And so late one night when I was sitting and overcoming with a hindrance attack, and it, I had lots of energy still, but it was all going in an unskillful direction. I was still wide awake. And I was about to sort of say, oh, to hell with this and walk out of the hall. And I remembered, what would the Buddha have done? <laughs> he wouldn't have <laughs> walked out. And so I remember, oh, how can I act in such a way that inadequacy will not arise in me, or whatever the difficult mind states were that arising, judgment, impatience, and so forth. It was very helpful just to align with, with that vitality and courage and willingness. And it really is a willingness to just keep take the next step. No, I'm not going to let this defeat me. It is possible. But not with... Um, a forcing or a judgment, not with aversion at all, but with willingness. And really, a willingness to experience and feel directly what's going on, and a willingness to look with wisdom and see where it is our energy is caught. What are we doing? So this joyful involvement or this uplifted energy doesn't come as a matter of luck. It comes as a result of our practice. It arises out of our ongoing loving-kindness practice, our mindfulness, all that we're doing here, our generosity, the ways we've been practicing with compassion, opening our hearts, as well as cultivating wisdom. And we begin to be able to learn to relax with this sense of groundlessness and uncertainty and not knowing. And with that relaxation, enthusiasm and joy comes. Pema Chodron calls it crossing over the boundary between being stuck and waking up. And so there's a confidence and faith that come. Faith came for me after, out of being able to say, oh, I'm not going to give up. I'm, I am going to give up all those particular mind states that were energy drains, but just oh, that's what I need to do. And then virya begins to manifest as fearlessness. And we get, more con- we get more connected with a whole bigger perspective, with the vastness of life, with all of energy that's moving through life. And we're less and less putting, getting boulders in the way of the flow and the unfolding. And we're more connected with this kind of energetic joy this passion for the truth. So don't miss your opportunities by holding on and holding back. And having said that, sometimes we can do it and sometimes we can't. Sometimes it's very hard and we feel overwhelmed and we need to respect our times of darkness. I was in a time of darkness um, about a year or so ago, about the world, as many of us do. 
And then I read a piece in Rebecca Solnit's book. Um, I forgot, sorry, the name of it. But she says, the future is dark, but with a darkness as much of the womb as much as of the grave. And so it's that promise of new beginnings, remembering that sometimes we keep seeing all the endings, we keep seeing all that's wrong, and we forget that darkness of the womb, that potential, that possibility of life force coming back. So that for me, in letting go, I'm really letting go into despair and, oh, no hope for a few moments, all of a sudden, there's new life emerging. Just like the story of the little parrot and the tears of rain falling in the forest and the forest magically regrowing. There are still beginnings. It may not be as magical as the little parrot, but to look for the beginnings, the possibilities, the way life energy keeps coming back. So we all have energy available to us. And don't squander it. As Sylvia Borstein says, pay attention for goodness sake. And connect, see if you can connect with that spark and that joy that's available. Of course there are times when it doesn't feel so close and available. But can we be open to that possibility? And I'll end with this um, from a Tibetan yogi, Lama Tsong Kapa. This human body at peace with itself is more precious than the rarest gem. Cherish your body. It is yours this one time only. The human form is one with difficulty, is easy to lose. All worldly things are brief like lightning in the sky. This life, you must know, was the tiny splash of a raindrop, a thing of beauty that passes away even as it comes into being. Therefore, set your goal and make every day and night a time to attain it. Treasure the time you've been given, for this is all that matters. So as you sit in the stillness for a few moments, be aware of the life energy moving in your body right now. of the quality of that energy. Of the energy in the mind and the heart. Of what it's like in this moment to be fully alive and awake.
Notice how the energy, the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations are constantly flowing and changing the movement of life. This field of energy that is body, that is this being. This precious being. And as you hear the bell, receive the vibration and be aware of the movement of the energy as the vibration travels through you, bringing wakefulness. 